0: This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by actorrated.com. The internet's only place to find ratings and reviews for headshot photographers, acting classes, and more. See what other actors are talking about and recommending. To learn more, visit actorrated.com. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Elga And
1: I'm AJ Meyer.
0: And on this podcast we interview actors, writers, directors, filmmakers, casting directors, agents, anybody involved with the entertainment industry, and we bring those interviews to you. And of course, as always, we want to keep the dialogue open because we
1: are just two dudes with a podcast, and we created this podcast because we are looking for the answers, not because we have all the answers, so if you... Uh, Grow this deep seated hate for us, and you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> just send us an wow. email. <laughs> well, you know, just in case. I mean, we got to take it to the extreme, right? Uh, send us an email, uh, send us a, a voicemail, uh, jump on our, our website to find out all the different ways you can get in touch with us. And on this particular episode, we have a very special interview, uh, part one of a two part interview with uh, filmmaker sort of web series pioneer, uh, Yuri Baranovsky, who uh, Trevor was so good to uh, to get in contact with. He was He's a friend of uh, Alexis Boozer, who was in your, your short film, Donor, right? Is that
0: correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he knows Mark. I mean, it's this whole kind of crew of people that uh, we've got kind of coming up on the podcast. And many of Mark, whom we've already Mark, spoken Mark to. Mark Gant, right? Uh, Mark and um, Taryn O'Neill. A lot of you know that whole kind of crew. There's like a lot of those those people that are really kind of like the frontier, <laughs> frontiers people of uh, of the uh, of the web series world.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, and and it, they, it's amazing the the success that they've had. And you know, there there are a lot of people out there doing stuff for the web, web series, and and otherwise. And there are very 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 few people, including the quote unquote professionals or quote unquote you know, people with, uh, you know, resources, uh, who are actually monetizing it. And it's one of the things that he's, he's been able to do. And so, um, both parts of this interview are just really stellar. So, um, stay tuned for that.
0: Okay, so uh, hey guys, what's going on? 59 episodes, thank you for sticking with us. Um, Every once in a while been...
1: I feel like I want to have our listeners sitting here on the other side of the microphone so that when we talk about what we're up to, I can say like, hey so what What have you been up to?
0: <laughs> I know, it, it does feel awfully one-sided sometimes and I, I definitely know, we love it when people tell us what they're doing via Twitter or, or email or voicemail or Facebook or all those things. I mean, we we want this to be a community. So so please send in uh, send in what's keeping you busy. And um, we've gotten so much amazing support from podcast listeners, um, like coming to see Gospel According. The first squad um, donating to you know the short film that I just put together. Donor and you know all these wonderful, wonderful. This wonderful support from people. So thank you. We want to return the favor. So tell us what you're up to and we'll, we'll do our best to come out and check it out.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to say, uh, uh, with regards to your, uh, one-sided comment, it's, uh, it's a little bit sort of amplified when you and I are both working on the same thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah. every time we do these catch-ups in the beginning, we're just like gospel according to first
0: squad, gospel according to first squad. Gospel. No, <laughs> <like> <laughs> no.
1: every episode, New, um,
0: new drinking game: <laughs> take a shot every time AJ or I say "Gospel according to quote. Oh
1: my God! Please, we do not endorse. Actually, that sounds really fun. Uh, no, <laughs> he was he was saying he was referring to those wheatgrass shots that you get at the. That's at right the, at the at the smoothie shop, right? That's what. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we uh, get drunk. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> that sounds really fun. We should. We should. We should make a drinking game for our own podcast and go back to episode one and just see how plastered we get. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah, right. Every time we say um or ah, it would be like punishment, right? Oh,
0: jeez. Every time we say dude, um, we'd or be ah. responsible for so many binge drinking deaths. <laughs> um. Anyway, um. So, uh, so yeah, man. I mean, I I, I want to be like, what's been keeping you busy, dude? But obviously, Gospel According to the First Squad, which has been going really, really well. Um. In the interest of not beating that horse to death, uh, what else has been keeping you busy?
1: Nothing. It's really slow. uh, Still, it's sort of like picked up for a little bit um, as the summer drew to a close. Well, I mean, it's still summer. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's it's still slow. I mean, as far as I'm from from my point of view, um, I've been out at a couple of uh, commercial auditions, but uh, that's pretty much it. Um, Yeah. Uh, the one, the one thing I'm really, really excited about, um, and unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, it's going to bring the conversation back around again to the play. Is uh, this Thursday is the performance that uh, Scott Manners is going to be attending?
0: That's right. So, yeah. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> <a> little, uh, <laughs> That's exciting, man. Um, how how do you do when you have people you know in the house? I mean, some people get a little freaked out by that. Not freaked out, but they become kind of uber conscious of the presence of their friends in the house so when you know people are there does that affect you at all
1: that's a really great question i i guess i i don't i certainly don't get nervous anymore um i mean maybe i will this thursday because it's something so completely different and i feel like there's all this pressure um but when like press you know because i do pr for the ensemble too so when press comes yeah. i know that they're coming i don't get Nervous any, any, anymore. Um, you don't
0: I, get in your head or
1: anything like that. I guess I've just been doing it since you know I was 13 or something like that. So, I uh, you know, there were definitely times when I was nervous and opening nights where I was nervous and stuff, and it, it's it's gone now. I guess that that's sort of the the, ner- the nerves, but in terms of getting in my head and that kind of thing, uh, yeah, that totally happens. I catch myself doing that all the time, and it's like this really bad actor habit that I need to get out of, but um. I will sometimes become conscious of other things outside of what's going on with my character and what my objective is and uh, living in the moment and I'll be I'll catch myself. it's so bad, but I'll catch myself thinking of something completely different than what's going on on stage. So like last night, for instance, there was a there was a woman in the front row and she was doing like one of the worst things you could do in a theater. She was crinkling like a candy wrapper or something. Last night. Yeah. Yeah. In the front row during, during the most intimate scene of the first act. And it was, it went on for like a good five minutes. I'm not even exaggerating because the scene itself is only like, you know, I don't know, seven or eight minutes long. And it, and it was going on for almost the entire scene. The other actor who was on stage with me didn't even notice. And like, yeah, they were like, I didn't even, I don't even notice stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, it felt like she was part of the play, like she was on stage with us. Yeah. So, anyway, that, that taught me a a lesson. And, uh, once again, you know, those things that you think are like huge deals on stage that aren't, that the audience doesn't notice at all, you know, Mm. like a missed cue, a missed light cue or sound cue. And you think it's like, oh my God, it's the biggest deal ever. And you go out and you tell your, I'm so sorry. And your friends are like, what? What are you talking about? You know?
0: Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of like what they say you should do when you have a bad audition and you feel like you you know you had a bad read or, or scene or whatever, that you never let on to the casting directors and the producers that are there. Yeah. You never let on that you feel that it was bad. You just kind of smile and be like, I just did the most like awesome job ever. Even if you think it sucked because they don't see what you see. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, maybe it's the same idea where it's like, I know there's this freaking car alarm going off and there's a person crinkling their candy wrapper in the front row the entire scene. But as far as you know, like, I'm still brilliant, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things maybe where you just don't let on,
1: you know? I think I'm going to walk around a uh, stage thinking I'm brilliant
0: all the time now. Thanks to Trevor, i <laughs> Not awesome. me personally, you know what I mean, though? I definitely don't walk around thinking that. <clears throat> Uh, quite the opposite most of the time, but you, you know are. what I mean um what else been going on anything besides uh, uh I mean not personally, that? we
1: have some really awesome news regarding the podcast i don't know if you want to, oh yeah let's our, talk about that our listeners about this uh about this thing
0: well uh, do you do you wanna do the honors this is like our'll put some yeah I'll put some music in.
1: Aww, you didn't like my music, Trevor? Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so, we have been named one of the 10 best podcasts for movie makers by Movie Maker Magazine. Um, I suppose you can uh, get a link to this online. The newest uh, edition or the newest um, issue just came out. It's got... Um, joseph gordon levitt on the cover for anybody who um has seen it or or wants to pick one up um but uh yeah they named us one of the 10 best podcasts for movie makers and there's a little uh write-up of the podcast in uh the magazine it's on page 34 if anybody's uh (laughs) interested um, and we
0: actually we do have a pdf of the the two pages that are that 's that article that kind of spread um and we 're we 're going to post that on our website for you guys to download and check out and of course, if you like what you see um as far as the pdf goes and and whatnot, we definitely encourage you to check out movie maker magazine it's it 's a pretty cool uh you know a j u gave me two copies that they had sent us yesterday, and I was paging through it it's it 's a pretty cool magazine um I like filmmaker magazine a lot, and this looks like it 's basically the same thing so yeah, uh
1: you can check them out at moviemaker.com is their website. Um just, I, just
0: moviemaker.com. Yeah. Yeah,
1: moviemaker.com. That's a yeah, yeah, a pretty awesome domain that they grabbed there. Um yeah. I have not been able to find the our particular article on on the web, so maybe we'll post just the section of the PDF um with with our mention um in yeah. it, so that we don't give away their their magazine. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's pretty cool. We, we, this is like our first ever press, if you will, for the podcast. And, and you were even mentioning Trev, how cool it is to have like KCRW's The Treatment like right there, like on the same page next to
0: We're um, right next to it. Yeah.
1: It's like uh, unbelievable because I I listened to that podcast and it felt like a big deal.
0: Yeah. Well, it's tough to get press for what's essentially another press, uh, thing. I mean, we 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 are essentially press mm-hmm. so um maybe that's why <laughs> So we have a couple emails and voicemails we wanted to respond to. We have two emails we wanted to quickly offer our thoughts on, as well as uh, a voicemail from uh, a listener. So should we uh, should we jump into these? Yeah. Uh, sweet. So let's see. The first email um, is from a listener named Michael, and uh, he wrote in and basically said, uh, and we've talked about this stuff before, but um, he says uh, he wanted to know our opinion on having a website um, and an online presence basically. So he did, you know, talk about, you know, Twitter and web series and things like that. Um, he wants to know what our thoughts are as far as pros and cons, what should be on the website as far as like production photos, headshots, a bio, um, that kind of thing. So, um, this is, uh, an interesting thing and I think this might be a slightly contentious, uh, topic to talk about because I have a few thoughts on this. Um, but what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on this, AJ?
1: Um, yeah it is, I mean it's definitely something that we have discussed on the podcast in the past um, with varying uh, you know levels of as you said contention and we've gotten you know a lot of feedback from listeners we've gotten emails I'm sure we'll get tons of emails and Twitter posts and stuff after after this but um I just I my, my my biggest concern when it comes to this whole like online presence thing um, with regards to not only having a website but Twitter and Facebook and so on and so forth is I don't want any actor to ever believe that they have to have a Twitter account in order to book work. Or they have yeah. to have a Facebook account in order to book work, or they have to have a website in order to book work, or they have to have an IMDb profile in order to book work. Yes, they may be tools in your toolbox, but I don't feel like they have—I I don't feel like they have the weight that some people like to put on them, you know. And some—and some, and some people—we've even gotten emails into the podcast saying, like, you know, uh, I noticed your website is very simple. For instance, mine is just one page. I noticed your website's very simple. Like, you know, I would recommend doing X, Y, and Z. We've and got several emails
0: like that. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, from a lot of different uh, listeners across the board. Um, some referring to uh, our Inside Acting Podcast.com website, some referring to our personal website, some referring to both. And, it, you know, there's a reason that my website is only one page. You know, it, there's a reason that I'm such a big proponent of About.me. Uh, there's only one thing miss- really missing from my um, from my uh, website right now, and it's my reel, and it's just because I just haven't uh, you know I haven't uh, put it up there yet. Mm-hmm. I just don't want actors to spend a lot of time and resources and money, especially um, focused on this. Now the flip side of that, and Michael kind of even says it in his email, is most businesses should have an online presence, and as an actor you are your own business that being said you know if you if you are selling something and that something is you and your talent and your look then yeah that might be a way to sort of market that
0: you know we went to that um that panel at uh, actor fest a couple well, more than a couple months ago, and um, there were a bunch of kind of high-level casting directors there, and one of the questions was, uh, "How often do you look at actor websites?" And it was a resounding no across the four or five casting directors that were there. And, yeah, uh, and those were—I thought those that were, was interesting.
1: Those were big names, too.
0: Yeah, that, and and I understand room. that. They, nobody has the you know, if you're casting, you know, like who knows how many roles a week you don't have time to go check out personal websites from actors, and that's the kind of work that we all want to book. Now, leading up to that kind of work, going through short films, independent films, student films, web series, things like that, you're going to need a website to have, you know, those people who do have the time to kind of maybe check that kind of thing out. You want them to be able to check out your website, and it is very important to have an online presence, period. So I think a website is absolutely essential. What I think the problem is, and I'm going to kind of, Harken back to an argument that you had a while ago, AJ. You said like it's frustrating that so many actors and we both understand this because I think we've both been there, but it's frustrating when, when it's like you put so much energy and time into what font should should I put my name in yeah. on my headshot. Yeah. You know, and I think I think the website thing is is very similar to that. It's like it, Brian Vermeer says, you know, proactive versus productive. So it's like it's very easy to get caught up in the online world of of maintaining your twitter and your facebook page and making sure your website has the photos section up to date and this section up to date and your bio and like all these things when really that's people might check it out to kind of see you and maybe get familiar with you but it's usually just other actors i mean the the real work comes in getting yourself pitched and seen for things um yeah and a website like i said a website helps so it it definitely counts to have a good website. But um I, I don't think it needs to be anything overly complicated. In fact I'd argue that the simpler it is, the better. I mean my website right now, I haven't I, I have to admit I've been guilty of not really maintaining a decent website. All I have is my name, the phone number to my agency, and uh a link to my IMDB and my reel on Vimeo. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's not even a picture of myself up there. I should have a picture up there, so I'm gonna go ahead and say that. I definitely uh definitely guilty there. But you take a look at a lot of actors that are working today and most of them don't have personal websites. They really don't. I mean, yeah, I would say the majority don't. And I don't think they, like I'm thinking of a couple of our friends who are working cons- consistently in TV right now. They've never had a personal website. Yeah. You know? Um, so maybe spend a couple hours setting it up and updating it every once in a while with the latest projects you're working on. But, but uh, I would say beyond that, it's you're, you're kind of fooling yourself into thinking you're doing work when you're, when you're not, yeah. you're just staying busy.
1: Yeah. It it, it reminds me a little bit of, I, I, I kind of connect it back to like you said it, you know, harken back to the conversation we had where I was saying like, don't worry about the font on your resume. I kind of connect it back to um, when Mark Atterbury said that so much time and money is spent on learning the rules yeah. of the business, you know, it, 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 it's like somehow along the way, because of the, the you know this age of of technology, it, 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 the rule became that you had to have a Twitter account, and a Facebook account, and a and a website. But it's not it's not true. It's not tr- mm-hmm. you know, the the rule is you bust your ass and you and you and you, as Alan Barton has, has said, you do the admin you love, and you don't get bogged yeah. down in all this other stuff. If you love if if creating websites is something that you love to do and like you just love this whole like social networking and marketing and blah, 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 then go for it because you're going to have a great time doing it, and it's going to sort of fill you up in a different way in addition to helping you you know, get your face and, and name and stuff out there. So go for it. But if it's something that you uh, don't like to do or you don't know how to do, Uh, don't pour a bunch of time and energy and resources into getting one up there just because someone told you that you should have one. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of like sort of the people who don't know how to, you know, put together a simple website and put it up online or put together a reel and put it up on YouTube or or whatever. It's like so, so much you know, they, 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 it's like the scare tactic or the tactic that, you know, the, the, of the, the sharks in the shark tank at the, in the basement at ActorFest where it's like, this is something you have to do. And if you don't do it, you're not going to make it in this industry and blah, blah, blah. And everybody else has one. You're not on the cutting edge. Right, know. right. And then you go, so oh forth. crap, I have to do this, but I don't know how. So let me spend a bunch of time and money and energy and resources
0: doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's the real trap is feeling like everybody else has a website and this person's website has a, has all these different elements to it. So my website has to kind of keep up with that website. And I, you know, the website I think is maybe one to 2% of, of what will get you in the room, to be honest. And I, I, there's a lot of people that'll probably argue with me on that, but I think that's, it's not nearly, I think it's essential to have a website and be online. Yes. And be searchable and, Happy will be able to see what you look like and see your real, uh, but I don't think it's like... It, 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 there's This is a huge conversation, actually, um, and I'd be interested to hear what our, our listeners think. But oh. I, I do want to say, before we put this one to bed uh, for now, is that I do think it's one thing that absolutely is essential on your website these days is to have some sort of constantly updated information. So whether that's a blog or some sort of news feed, give reason to people to come back to your website to see what's new. I absolutely think that is essential. And if you can do that via an RSS feed that people can subscribe to using something like Google Reader, that's a great reason for people to start following you. And I'm not talking about just put a Twitter widget on there. Don't like I'm talking about like keep people up to date with production photos and press and the new projects that you have in development or that you're working on. I mean, I think that's essential because there are a few actors and filmmakers and writers that have a little news feed like a little blog on the front page there and every few weeks i'll kind of be sitting there and i'll be like i wonder what so-and-so's up to let me pop over to the website and see what's new and that creates a fan out of me so i think that kind of thing if you are going to have a website um which again i to reiterate i think you absolutely should um i think that is something that you you could put a lot of energy into it's just updating the content that's on it letting people know you're busy what you're doing giving them a reason to come back yeah. So anyway, uh, hopefully, uh, people will um, <laughs> write in and let us know how you feel about this. I, I uh, yeah,
1: I, I think they will. I think I think our listeners, yeah. especially on this topic in particular, I think we will get <laughs> a lot of responses. A lot. Of yeah,
0: feedback. and 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 I, I want to also point out. You know, it's like it's not like we are the end all, and this is just our opinion, and we might be wrong. You know, I mean, we're we're not like working as series regulars and, on television or anything right now. So there, there's definitely the argument that. Uh, that there is stuff we're doing wrong. So we'd love to hear from you guys and hear what your thoughts are uh, on all that stuff. All right, so we have another email from uh, a listener named Kevin. Do you want to take this one, AJ?
1: So Kevin uh, had uh, a couple of questions, but we're going to focus on one section of of his email, uh, which is really interesting. And I don't know if it's something that we have talked about a lot on the podcast. Uh, He said, basically, how often do you guys turn down roles? Uh, Should you swallow your pride and do things you think are stupid just to build your resume? Or should you only do, do things that you absolutely believe in? Um, and that's a, that's, that question gets into so many different areas of, you know, integrity and resume building and like, you know, uh, what projects you get involved with. There's so many things to talk about here. Um, and you responded to him via email, correct? So what kind yeah. of stuff, uh, yeah. I know you kind of went point by point. So what, what were some of those points?
0: Uh, well, let me see. here. I just pulled up the response that I had and I, I like a, Yeah, there's a, this is another big conversation, but I feel like, um, if you're, if, if you're offered a role or, a, or a, you know, a role in a project or some sort of project, I think there are two things you need to kind of go with, especially if it's like something that you maybe aren't totally behind. Number one, you just go with your gut. Like your gut, mm-hmm. I really believe in listening to yourself and being like, all right, really, when I turn off my cell phone and sit in a room by myself, what's the kind of feeling that comes to me when I think about doing this project? And then number two... Um, if it's a good thing, or even if it's not, like inspect the project as closely as possible for production value and and how the filmmakers are. I mean, have you spoken with them? Have you interacted with them? Do they seem like people who have experience? Are they going to make something good? Or are they just doing this for other reasons that maybe aren't as quite as noble? Um, what are they shooting it on? Can you check out their past work? Get a copy of the full script and see how the full script is, not just the sides and the scenes that you're in. Um, and do you know anybody else who's worked with them? And what's their reputation like? I mean, I think a lot of that stuff needs to be addressed if you are on the fence about about something, you know. Or even if you're just trying to build your reel, don't just take any project that comes along because it might just be a waste of your time. I've done a lot of projects where I was like, I'm going to get some great footage of me in such and such an outfit, you know, or in such and such a role. And it turned out to be completely unusable. Um, and I just ended up wasting a couple days. And then the other thing is like, you know, if you do like it, but you feel like maybe you just need some sort of compensation, and I, I like Mark Gantz's advice, you know, just tell them, you know, I like your project, man, but I'm, I'm kind of busy. I, I, can you offer me a hundred bucks? Like, if you could do, give me a hundred bucks, I'll be happy to do it. But like, other than that, I, I can't do something that doesn't pay me right now. I just, I have too much going on. And uh, a lot of times people don't take that the way you might think they take it. You might think they'd be like, oh, who's this diva asking for money when we have no budget? But actually, I think what people usually end up doing is going like, "Wow, this guy's professional. Like he's just asking for a little bit of pay." And most of the time, in, in my experience at least, they're happy to find that money in their you know quote unquote non-existent budget and pay you, and it brings a whole other level of professionalism to the project.
1: the The next step to this answer is after doing the research. If you think it's something stupid, he's asking, "Should you do it?" And right. you know. I I, I know that Trevor probably agrees with me, and there's a lot of people out there who would agree with me, but I don't think you should do anything if the main reason is to put it on your resume. Yeah, I yeah, agree. If that I is agree. the only reason that you are doing it, you should not be doing it. Um, yeah. Period. Yeah. I think it's Uta Hagen who has a, a, a list of... Um, I think it's four questions. I think I even mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah, you've before. mentioned this before. This is uh, great. It's like uh, you know, uh will it better your craft? Uh will you make money? Will you have fun? And will you will it be good for your career? I think. Yeah, will it be good for your craft? Will it be good for your career? Will you make money? Will it be fun? Those are like the four questions, I think. I I think those are, I I have to look it up again. But basically, she says if you can answer yes to two of those questions, then you should do it. Use your own. I mean, you don't have to use her, you know, uh, system, but come up with your own so that you have a sense of um, not just integrity, but you have like a litmus test. You have something to kind of like measure it against. You know what I mean? Like you have a structure in place. Because sometimes, you know, like you were saying, like your gut, might be split in two. You might be, you might be, you know, pulled in two different directions. And you're like, my gut's telling me to do it and not do it at the same time. So make sure you have something in place or a mentor or, or, or a friend that you, whose opinion you really trust. And you can run it all by them. Cause in talking it out with that other person, you may find the answer yourself or they may be able to point out some perspective that you hadn't thought of yet.
0: Cool. Well, um, that's all. Uh, hopefully that's a lot of food for thought. And um, hopefully that helps um, with anybody who might be in the same situation. And I can say from experience, there were a couple projects that I did sign on for that I wish I hadn't signed on for um, because I sat with it for so long. And I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything else. And it would look good on my resume. So mm. and then I did it and it ended up being like just a huge waste of time. Yeah, And I I, I, I I, feel bad saying that almost because I know other people poured their heart and soul into these projects, but it wasn't right for me. Um, and it just, it just, I wasn't in it, you know, and I felt like a sellout. I felt like a hack artist. Even if I did a good job, it didn't sit right and just, it ended up being just bad for my spirit, <laughs> you know, so uh, anyway, hopefully, hopefully that helps. I love those four questions from Uta Hagen. And then uh, to quickly wrap up his email, the second half of it was um, also – he's from Philadelphia, as it turns out. In fact, he, he went to the same school – or he's going to the same school that I went to, uh, Westchester University. And he said, um, basically, when should I make the move to L.A.? There's less competition to get roles in Philadelphia, but uh, – so wouldn't it be easier to stay out here and just build a resume before I make the move? Or should I just go to L.A. ASAP? And I, I wrote him back, and you know, from my experience, I said – you know, we've talked about this in the podcast. I said come out to LA as soon as possible. There's no reason to wait. Because a lot of people out here don't have any roles in their resume, and this is the place that you want to start, I think. When I came out here with a bunch of Philadelphia roles in my resume, nobody cared. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. the cold hard truth. They might have seen I was from the East Coast, and maybe a few people saw that I had done theater in the East Coast and they were like, oh well that, you know, maybe stands for something. Maybe but how's yeah. his read? You know, what, what's his audition like? Yeah, that's all that matters. So, yeah. um, I would say if you're serious about this, come out to the Super Bowl of acting and and start playing.
1: We've gotten a couple of people uh, emails and and some and some uh, Twitter posts uh, asking about moving out here and uh, apartments and you know if if apartment costs this much, does that mean it's crap and all this stuff? And my main advice was, you know, make sure that you take care of survival first and it because if you can't eat and have nowhere to live and have no support system, you will leave.
0: Yeah. Uh, sweet. Let's jump into this voicemail um, before we move into the interview. Um, do you want to pull that up?
1: Yeah. Yeah, hi there. Uh, my name is George Savage, and um, I'm a new senior actor, um, a retired ad guy who's uh, really jumped into uh, – the whole acting thing since last September, and it's been a odyssey—an incredible thing. Uh, you try to make sure that the directors are going to come through with the um, the DVDs they promised you. Um, appreciate it. Great job, guys. Enjoy the show. And just a quick uh, side note: George also came to see Gospel According to First Squad and brought his wife and 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 a friend of his. And, and I don't. It's just so humbling. Um, he's asking about you know getting DVD copies of your work when you do these like sort of indie films. And Trevor, you have like the one of the best answers I think uh, out there for for this. Uh, yeah, I,
0: I have a two a part answer to this. Number one is kind of the the kind of stringent uh, kind of legal way to do things. And if you go to uh, copyprovided.com... dot this is a website I think that that was set up by the Holden Law guy. So Brian Vermeer, Christina Hughes, that that company. I believe they set this up. Copyprovided.com, and what you can get there, um, I'm pretty sure for free, is a form, like a like a form in legal, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, text or or uh, Legalese. <laughs> language that basically binds the filmmakers to a, an agreement to provide the footage to you, the actor, within a certain time frame. That's one way to do it, and that certainly is effective because if they don't do that, then based on that document that you have them sign, you can follow up with all sorts of legal action and whatnot. Uh, I personally think, I don't know, if somebody made me sign that before we started working together, I might be a little put off. You know, it all depends on how they they approached it, but that's one option. What I like to think um, is a better way to do it is just to... Just use your people skills to become friends with the filmmakers. You know, make sure that they they know that you're there to to play for the team, you know, and that you're there to help out. Offer to move equipment, move lights, pick up food. You know, do all the things that actors don't t- t- typically do. You know, just offer to help out however you can. Get to know them on a first name basis. Be friendly, um, and be a team player. And I think if you are able to establish a relationship like that with them. You're much more likely to get your footage without some sort of weird legal document that binds them to you, and and it is kind of implying the threat of legal action if they don't live up to it. I mean, I understand that I understand that argument, but I think that it's a little more diplomatic to just kind of work the other angle. Maybe other people have done this and they've still been you know SOL when it comes to getting their footage. But that that would be my approach, and I, I have personally never had an issue getting footage from. Uh, from filmmakers or photographers or whatever.
1: Uh, I just want to add one. Th- I think you're uh, spot on there, Trev. I just want to add one thing, which is that uh, I don't want anybody to believe that once you get to a certain level of production value or uh, professionalism, that this changes. <laughs> because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, because when I did uh, my episode of Hannah Montana, um, it was like pulling teeth trying to get footage, and I actually never happened. Yeah, um, you usually
0: don't. You have to go to like a uh, secret handshake or whatever, air check or whatever, and pay to get it recorded yeah, for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, that I didn't do that exactly. I actually purchased the episode. Um, I wonder if I could get in trouble for this. I guess not. Cause I'm not using, I'm not reselling the, the footage. Um, but basically I, I, I just bought the episode that I was in on iTunes and used a screen capture software that I, um, Got, it was funny. I was putting together my reel and this screen capture software I wanted that I still use to this day. We're using it right now for this episode. Uh, it was around my birthday and my mom was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, you know what? I honestly I need this screen capture software and I can't afford it. And she basically gave me the money to, to buy it so that I could capture all this footage for my reel. And that's what I ended up having to do. I, I basically had to record my computer screen in order to get this uh, yeah. clip from Hannah Montana. It's it was it was unbelievable, like that. I couldn't just call the production offices and have them send me a DVD. So yeah. it just, it's just some some interesting perspective for you, George. That it doesn't it doesn't necessarily affect the uh, the indie film world. Yeah,
0: alone. yeah. That's actually come to think of it, that's how I've gotten most of my footage. I think I've either used a screen capture software to record it online if somebody had it on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever, um, or I've I've gone to somebody and had them either a friend I bought them a pizza and had them Tivo it and transfer it to a DVD for me or I I paid, you know, something like AirCheck and paid 30 bucks to have them send it to me. Yeah. So uh so yeah, that that's true, but uh, you know, if you're just getting started and you're still working with a lot of student filmmakers, I feel like they're more than willing to give you the footage if you're willing to show that you're on their side. Sure. So to speak. Sure, and, sure, uh, sure. Oh, yeah, wherever so uh gosh this is a this episode's running long should we jump into this interview with yuri yes we should cool so this is an interview with uh yuri Baranofsky. again he's a, a web frontiersman to use aj's uh terminology there and uh this is a fantastic interview yuri is a very very cool guy and uh we hope you guys enjoy the interview and we hope for sure that you check out some of his work online um so enjoy the interview and we'll see you on the other side Okay, guys, welcome back. We are sitting here with uh, someone we're very excited to be sitting with, uh, Yuri Baranovsky, who is another kind of what we like to call, an, uh, what we seem to be calling rather, an ultra-hyphenate, somebody who writes, directs, acts, produces, does the whole nine yards. And Yuri, um, it's especially exciting to be sitting down with him because he's really kind of almost like pioneered uh, his way in the web world, the web entertainment world. I think I feel like there are a few people in the industry who are really kind of taking that, that whole area by storm and uh, and yuri is definitely at the forefront of that so yuri thank you for being here hey thanks for having me um so i have a million questions for you and I, <laughs> I told you this before we started recording i wanted to wait to talk to you because i wanted it all to be on the podcast and it all to be kind of fresh but um right. we like to usually start at the beginning so um let's start with where you, where were you born um you know <laughs> like where how, did, how you got started to this i think you said sure. you grew up north and, and i yeah uh,
2: actually i was born in kiev in Ukraine. Oh, really? Yeah, and I came oh. to the U.S. in 1989 as a Jewish refugee, and which doesn't mean I was on a boat or anything. It was just a lot of Jews were leaving, and they weren't allowed to leave the USSR at the time. So they had to kind of go like, we're going to Israel to visit family. And they were like, ah, we're going to America. And uh, so we got here, and... As far as like writing, how I started in writing, um, I was an actor in high school uh, and, and middle school and, and an artist. I would draw a lot. And uh, I never thought that I would be an actor. Like, I wasn't, I loved it, but I didn't think that I had, I was going to be able to do all the auditions and all that, you know, all that thing that sure. all the actors have to do. So I was like, okay, I'll be an artist. I really like, like drawing. So I went to a community college and um, I had always tried to write a little bit. It was always more fiction and it was mostly because I was imitating my older brother who, who writes a lot. He's a really good writer, so I always wanted to be like him. So I would write things that were terrible, and um, and then in in college I started to there was a like a theater production class that I took, which was they basically said like start from the beginning, make a script, put up a play, to teach us you know all that. So I uh, uh, my friend and I had written a few sketches for the hell of it, like Monty Python style kind of silly sketches, and we uh, we put it up, and people really really liked it. And it was it was almost surprising how much the audience responded to the sketches. They were completely silly, and and uh, and I was like, I really enjoyed writing it, and I felt like I had kind of a knack for the dialogue. So I started reading plays and consuming all that, and uh, I wrote a play. It was it was my first. Well, I wrote two plays. The, the first one was a short one act called Courting 101, which was just a simple like a little funny one act on on dating, and um and then I wrote a show called Eleven Variations on Friar John's Failure, which my college actually put up as a main stage show because they liked it so much. Wow. And, um, and then it got published. And this this was when I was 19, and I was just kind of, like, I was just enjoying it, and I, I didn't ever think of myself as a writer yet. I was just kind of like, this is cool. You so, know how many people are going to hate you for that? <laughs> <laughs> You're like,
0: I was just kind of dicking around. And, <laughs> I had a script published,
2: and you know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I guess to be fair, like, I was, I was consuming scripts like crazy, and I was reading a lot of stuff, and I, I just, like, really liked it. There was just something about it that I really enjoyed. And actually, 11 Variations, I... I had the idea when I watched Romeo and Juliet in my college, and I came home, and I had the idea, and I started writing, and then I wrote it in, like, a night, and it's, like, 45 pages, Wow! and it was this weirdest experience for me, because it was, like, I started at, like, 7 p.m., and then I was in, like, this writing trance, and at, like, 2 a.m., I was basically done, and I was, like, wow, that was really weird. I always tell people that Shakespeare co-wrote it with me. (laughs) You know, that's so
0: funny. I've heard a lot of people, um, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but I I hear that... That seems to happen a lot with writers that we've spoken to on the podcast and that I've read about in interviews. They seem to go into these, like you said, trances and they'll just write for like 12 hours straight at the end of the thing. They've got a screenplay. It's a
2: really hard thing for me to like get again. It happens sometimes, but it's like I have to be in some sort of weird state of mind and it just has to click. I think the idea has to be perfect where I know exactly the whole thing, you know, because usually I stop writing when I'm just like, I don't know how to go on. Right. And uh, and that idea, I just I just knew what I wanted to write, and so I wrote it, and um, it got published, and it, it was performed all over. It was performed in in high schools and colleges mostly, and uh, all over the world actually was it was in like B- Botswana and like London really and, yeah yeah in like a high school there. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was it was crazy, and and then and then I published the Courting One Hundred and One Show too. I sent it to the same publishers, uh, Play Scripts uh, Inc. They're called. So, and then I published a third play called Back to Eden, which was a feature length, uh, more like a waiting for Godot type of thing. And um, yeah, and then, and then, so I, I kept putting up shows in my college and one of my friends who was a filmmaker was like, Hey, we should turn one of your plays into a movie. And at that point I had already been convinced that I wanted to write. And I had a teacher um, who, who was very like much pushing me to be a writer and she was going to help me get into NYU cause she knew people there and, and I was, I was set on that course and then. My friend's like, let's make a movie. And I was like, all right, let's 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 try that. So uh, we started shooting this film called Life Noir, which star- starred Alexis Boozer, who's in Lovemaker yeah, yeah. and, and Break a Leg, and uh, Daniela Diorio, who's also in Lovemaker and Break a Leg, and um, Drew Lanning, uh, basically all the people that I use now. Sure, sure. So we started doing this film. This was like 2004, 2005. And uh, that was kind of my film school. I had never done any film kind of things. And the people that I worked with, uh, Justin Morrison, who is my DP still now, and uh, this other guy, My- Michael Good, who was, who was also kind of DPing, they kind of did it together. Uh, they taught me pretty much everything about film. They're just genius guys who just know it. I mean, they, they, the way I consume plays, they consume film books and movies, you know. So uh, we, were, we were shooting this movie. We finished shooting, and um, there was a contest in MySpace for a five-minute pilot. And it was Sonny in Philadelphia was, was doing it. Sonny, like, in quotes. Right. Um, and uh, we, my brother and I had this idea for Break a Leg at the time. It was a writer going to Hollywood and uh, having it be this crazy kind of alternative world where there's, you know, the guilds are at war with each other and his life is always in danger. And we had this idea that we were just kind of talking about. And when this came up, we were like, hey, let's take a break from Life Noir, shoot this in like a weekend and submit it. And um, we didn't win, but there was this community around the project Around the contest, and um, we got this huge fan base from the, and it was it was so weird because they were like emailing FX saying like how how did they not win and and we were like this is a very strange re-. it was a very like extreme reaction and so we were like okay well let's let's make a pilot so we shot a pilot which was thirty minutes um, and it wow. was it was kind of I mean I, I I always say this I don't know how true it is I'm sure there were other people making kind of similar shows web shows The Berg was around the same time as us and that's the only one I really know that. That's still kind of around. But uh so we released Break a Leg and it was kind of the first web show. We got good viewers from it. I mean, at the time it was like four or five thousand an episode or whatever we, we broke it up into parts, so mm-hmm. it was like four parts for the first for the first episode. So we were like, okay, this is cool, let's let's do another episode. So we were doing these episodes, and by the third episode, we started getting all this press. So like the wall street journal wrote about us and the LA times and the San Francisco Chronicle and, and all these places, all of a sudden started covering us and, um, and, and it was great. And we got all this attention from it. we we shot two more episodes. It kind of peaked at the third one and then it kind of went down. Uh, and then Fox Italy bought it for distribution that's huge. That's amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, so, yeah. so you basically entered this contest. Yeah. Um,
0: well, first of all, it's really cool you have your roots in theater because we're two kind yes. of theater guys. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's awesome. Um, so you did this contest, and um, from there, it just really took off. The fans just kind of took it and ran with it. It sounds yeah. like and yeah, that's, was, that's what kind of brought you into into the fold. Yeah, so right, yeah. It
2: was it was complete. You know, like people are like, you guys innovated this, and it wasn't. I mean. We were just filmmakers who wanted to do, do a TV show at the time. And when we were doing Break a Leg, we were like, hey, this is, this is a cool thing to kind of show off what we can do. And we really tried to do our best to make it as high quality as possible. Uh, and, and then when, when web shows started getting more popular and there was this whole thing of like, I felt like low quality was almost like people's... It's like a garage band, you know what I mean? Like, once you're too high quality, you're no longer cool. It's like, I felt like there's that mentality for a little while, which I I often railed about in my blog, because I felt like the way to for people to actually watch web shows is for them to be high as high-end as possible. They should compete with television. They shouldn't be something that people can just watch sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, Mark did Bannon Way, and that was really one of the first shows that was like, wow, this looks like a television show or a movie, so... Yeah. Yeah now, now yeah, <laughs> yeah. now it is. And now yeah. Now it is. Yeah.
1: So where were you, where, where, where was Breakleg being distributed when it was, when you had it broken up into these parts? Was that like YouTube or was it other it was, places? Yeah. Or own was, website or it
2: was YouTube primarily. And, uh, we found blip TV, which had just started like, I don't know, a few months prior to that. And, um, we emailed them and asked if they could like feature us on their site. And, and we actually have had a relationship with them since then, but we put it on blip TV and they had a really high quality player. High, way higher quality than YouTube at the time, so we used Blip on our main site, and then YouTube, and then all the other sites that, that were around then it was like, God, I forget Vimeo wasn't around. There's just there's so many different. You know, Sony had some kind of site I think that closed, and yeah. so everywhere we could really, yeah. Well, so how. <sighs>
1: How oh how oh how did you get the New York Times and Wall Street Journal? Like where did that sort of attention come from? Was it just because of the viewership that you guys had, or were, did you did you
2: hire a press person, or like um, how did that where did that come? So from? it started with me just writing to blogs, and like the originally the way we got views was that a few of our friends or a few of our fans on MySpace had friends with bands on MySpace and they were like big bands with lots of viewers or lots of fans. So they wrote about us a few times and then all their fans went to our, our MySpace. Hmm, And so that, yeah, so that helped get our viewers in the beginning. And we, um, so I wrote to a bunch of bloggers at the time and said, check this out. It was fairly unique then because it was like us and like cats falling asleep and things like that. Or just sketch <laughs> comedy, you know, just things like that. Right, not a whole lot of like narrative. No, no like almost it. none, really. So, you know, so that was kind of unique. And then we worked with a company called Free Your Imagination, which uh, Paul Cantonis ran at the time. And they helped with kind of – they gave us – they made our website. They said things like – uh you should release content every every week cuz we we shot mm-hmm. one episode we'd release it and then we'd take two months to shoot another one and our audience would would drop and so after the second one i think he was like you got to release something every week so we did these short like conversation things which were basically scenes that took place in the world but weren't part of the main plot really mm-hmm. so you can just kind of you could see the characters interact and 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 have these little funny moments but you don't need to know the main story or it's almost non-linear exactly. storytelling interesting exactly That's and it's really cool yeah so we would shoot all those along with the main episodes while having like full-time jobs and you know just trying to cuz we we did this for free for like 3 years so yeah yeah how did you how did you support yourself while you were doing i was all this? well my parents were awesome <laughs> and uh and i i was a freelance writer so for me it was like I had a few months where it was great and a few months where it was terrible, like everyone who does freelance. But I worked for Gizmodo for a while. Cool. I worked for... Uh, I wrote the show called The Circuit on uh, on Mojo HD. It's in, like a high-definition network that I think closed now. But they did uh, Three Sheets, which is a fairly popular show. And um, The Circuit was a 10-episode kind of daily show, but about tech and geek news. Mm-hmm. So I, I was the head writer on that. So that was great. That was a cool thing. It was actually even advertised on tv so that that was that was very cool you um, you were a writer for gizmodo. yeah i was i was the head oh yeah and i was the writer for gizmodo yeah um i wrote like a few feature articles for them and then i started doing more of the little that's so cool yeah so really your
0: your heart seems to be almost with the writing and the acting kind of grew out of that or is it uh, i love
2: acting i just i think i had to make a, a kind of a decision like wh- what am i the best at what am i the most competitive at I, I felt like if I was trying to pursue acting really aggressively and writing really aggressively and producing really aggressively, I would have not pursued any of them as huh. much as I should have. So writing felt the most I mean, the things that I was writing really seemed to catch on with people and people really even with break a leg, people would and I wrote break a leg with my brother and people would always tell us, you know, the writing was what, what kind of st- stuck out for people. All of the write ups usually mention the writing, so um and I love writing. So it's definitely my number one skill and my strength. Uh, I started directing because I I wanted to make sure that our lines were said correctly, kind of thing. <laughs> I was a control freak, in other words. So um, a and director, I, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've continued since directing, and I like directing definitely, and um, producing also really out of necessity. But I yeah. do I do enjoy producing. I do love acting, honestly. If if people called me and said like I have a part, I would do it in a second. I I I just adore it. I could. I could, my dad always jokes that if someone had me, like, cast me in a movie, I would drop everything else I'm doing and do that. And I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I just I love it. I just don't think I'm as competitive in it as I would be in writing or producing. That's smart. So you're really
0: but, you're really marshalling your resources and putting yeah. it behind what you feel are your, your yeah. greatest strengths.
2: Yeah, and then casting myself. Right, yeah. right, really, <laughs> it. really it. might as well, right? Yeah, really, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's such a great thing for our listeners to kind of pick up on, though, is is that sort of self awareness. The word "competitive" that you keep using is what I'm sort of focusing in on. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's really I, that that's just an amazing sort of bit of self awareness that I think that everybody, every actor or every artist, really could kind of take on. Is like, you know, you can be a multi hyphenate, you could be interested in all these things, but like, where do you feel like you're most competitive, or where like you're you're um, uh, the main talents that you have lie, yeah. um, and it's cool. I think that you found that, you know, because yeah, some yeah. people who don't, who never find it, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or they, or they just kind of use the shotgun method, as we talked about. We have a, a thing we talked about using a shotgun versus using a sniper rifle, right? So, so specificity versus just a general throwing <laughs> right. things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well,
2: and then there's something to yeah. be said of that, but for sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think self awareness is something that we all. When we started making our movie, our our thing was. Let's cast the best people, not just our friends. And a lot of them were our friends, but they were actors, you know. And um, let's not be like gentle for to one another. Like if I don't like a shot, I'm going to tell them I don't like the shot. If if they don't like, you know, my writing, just tell me what what part you don't like. And we've been we've done that ever since. We're very critical of the work that we do, and every project that we do, we really go. Okay, that was close to what we want it to be, but what's? How do we improve it? What? We, what? It, how do we get it to look like The West Wing or, or you know, the very highest caliber show or T or movie? Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like we get better with every project, and I think that's really important. So that's
0: that's yeah. great to find a group of people like that too that are able yeah. to kind of take their ego out of the situation, yeah, for, yeah. for a bit. And that's, just kind of...
2: yeah, I always say that yeah. that's like the most important thing to having a crew because there's really no egos, you know. I mean, we. It's annoying when you, like, spend seven hours in a script and then they're all like, Uh, eh, I just, I don't like it. Right, right, <laughs> you know, but, right. but it's good. I mean, it's necessary because I feel like I think even famous writers, people start saying just yes to them all the time and they don't, they stop self-evaluating. They just make things kind of on reflex and that's not, you know. That's yeah. not art. I no think. quality control. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I wanted to ask you about um, web entertainment specifically, because it's obviously it's a very new kind of form of entertainment, and it's, I guess, what people are kind of calling short form. I mean, having a web series that's longer than five or six minutes an episode is is pretty rare. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly because people don't, they, we, I don't... I don't think we've developed the ability yet to sit in front of our computers <laughs> for long, and focus on one thing yeah. for longer than seven or eight minutes, but or maybe we have. I mean, what's your take on all
2: that? This is my rant. I've been ranting about this the last uh, month or two. Great. Actually. <laughs> Great. So, Bring it on. Rant away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you I have think, the So <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's a weird restriction that we set our, on ourselves that's a throwback to like two years ago when the quality wasn't there yet and people weren't used to watching online stuff. I totally get, you know, back when YouTube had really bad quality, no one wants to sit down and watch a 10-minute show or a 20-minute show or a 30-minute show. But we watch Hulu now. A ton of people watch Hulu. And uh, a ton of people download movies illegally and TV shows illegally because they're watching them. I mean, and I, I think that's there. And I think for some reason, uh, the people with money, brands, and networks have this thing in their head like people stop watching in five minutes. And I think mm. that it's – we don't really have a big enough sample size to, to say that. I mean, we, there's not a lot of good web shows. There's there's no barrier to entry. so there's a million web shows and people don't really know where to find the high-quality ones, and there's not a ton of high-quality ones. So I don't think we have a, a huge enough sample size to say, well, everyone stops watching in five minutes. you right. know. And, and I think TV is the same way. If, if you watch a bad show, you're going to turn it off in five minutes. I mean, I think, I'm sure the Bannon way, I think Mark even just told me that they had a very high time on the site and people watched it and people bought it and you know did great. Mm-hmm. I, th- I just think, I don't think length is... I think, if anything, it's, it's very restricting to us because I think people kind of think, oh, seven minutes. All right, it's not a real show. It's just a web show. Right, right, right. Exactly. In their yeah. head, it's just automatic response. Yeah. And, you know, when I ask people, everyone goes, yeah, I mean, I, I liked your show, but it's, why is it so short? You know, I want to see more. <laughs> right, and right. It's cause, and my brother always says he, he doesn't watch web shows because he doesn't want to come home after a long day and watch seven minutes of something. You know, he wants to, like, get into a story. Yeah. And that's, that's
0: interesting because when, I mean, personally, when I sit down in front of my computer, Mm -hmm. I want to do work. You know, like I'm here, I'm, here, I'm, I'm there to clean out my inbox, to right. type that invoice up, to do yeah. whatever I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming across a web series or a thing that somebody sends me an email and says, Hey, watch this. You can click on it right here. Right. Somehow that's not in the right context for right. me. So yeah.
2: how, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think places like Hulu really help because they, they, again, it's like, it's a place people go to watch shows. So when you're like, check out this Hulu show, every time I've said our show leap years on Hulu. Every time I said go watch uh, uh, Leap Year, it's on Hulu. They go, oh, like they have this, oh, you know, right. where it's legitimate. It's legitimate. It's, actually, yeah. it's not just a couple people on the weekend. Exactly. It's- yeah, which which is funny because you know, I mean, a lot of shows aren't on Hulu and they're great, but Hulu has now in, in people's heads like okay, high quality shows are on Hulu. So I think I think we need more more things like that, and and you know, it's that's just the hardest thing is is the trust people people trust an NBC show if you start watching. You go, okay, well, it's nBC I'll watch thirty minutes of this. It's harder to go, oh, okay, it's a YouTube video. I'm going to watch thirty minutes of this. you know mm-hmm. you don't trust them to be good, and I mean that's just our challenge as creators i mean i I think if we make really good stuff then people will will come and i think it's happening slowly
0: yeah i think yeah. that's so key too to have your own website for that kind of stuff because yeah. when you're on youtube you're so distracted yeah there are yeah. ads popping up and yeah. there are videos on the sidebar and mm-hmm. there are comments and you're in your browser like ready to go on to the next day yeah, thing. But yeah definitely. if you've got your own site like the bantam way they had their own site for it and yeah i guess they had a special player for it as well
2: did they yeah i don't, I don't know if they
0: had a maybe they didn't i'm not sure but you know even it was, like the, it
2: was it was crackles like player. yeah sony Sony's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right the sony
0: crackle player yeah. um so I think that's that's huge just just for the context and the and the, almost like the marketing standpoint how you position right. it to people. Yeah. Probably can tw- tweak their perceptions Yeah, a little yeah, bit well, well I like I doing. hate
2: the word web show because I think it has a negative connotation now. I think people yeah. go, "Oh, web show." Yeah. And you know, I wish we need to think of a new name, I think.
0: With is, uh Apple TVs and Roku boxes and things like that. Yeah. Where do you think all this is going?
2: You know, I don't know. I don't think it's going to replace TV or anything. Everyone says it's going to replace TV. Um, I think I think that it might be what independent films are to, you know, high-budget films. I think it's a place to distribute. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I think I think we haven't gotten to a place where we were even able to figure that out yet. I think it's like – I feel like every year is completely different in this world, and every year people have the, these predictions – and then at the end of the year, they're like, ah, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know? Right, right, you know, right, It's like every year to like a, a year ago, we didn't make a whole lot of money online. We worked really hard and didn't, you know, uh, this last year, 2010, we had a crazy year of like uh, really good jobs and, you know, and, and a lot of prosperity there and money that I would have never thought we would have made online, you know. And, and that's, to me, is a huge sign of things. I mean, we grew like a thousand percent in in a year um, and, and and I think that's that's great, um, and that was in a bad economic time. So
1: right, this is our, actually a, a perfect segue to kind of get in here with one of the questions that I, I wanted to ask. I was telling Trev I wanted to ask you about the um, the sort of revenue stream, um, you know, before you before you got here. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know you did the uh, the this uh, sort of web series ish thing for this insurance company. Yep, right. Yeah, and, that's Leap Year. Yeah, leap year. Oh, that yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what Leap Year is. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, you know. How are you or are you monetizing sort of the other web series stuff that you're working on? And if so, you know, how are you doing that? Like, I think the thing that sort of uh, scares people away on the producer's side from mm-hmm. web television, um, we do need to come up with a, another name right? for that. Right. It's, yeah. it's a branding thing, it's a total branding <laughs> thing. Web entertainment. <laughs> <With, Yeah, right. laughs> oh, that's worse. <laughs> um, uh, there, there are so many people who from the producer side of things are afraid to get into it because uh, there's no money. No. Well, it's it's not that there's no money. It's nobody's figured out the right way to to do it, to sort of make the money. And I think we asked this question of Mark Gant uh, briefly when we had him on the show, but I, I guess, you know, you, you're sort of having success with that in, in sort of two different ways. One, you sort of have created this narrative, for one company and they're sort of sponsoring that and then the and then how are you doing with the other stuff that you're working on
2: yeah so we don't at some point i decided that revenue sharing was ever gonna like we weren't gonna make money with with like the way we don't make sketch comedy and i think that's how people make money online with just that you know on youtube it's really easy to to make something that's cheap and easy and it's a sketch and then there's a million viewers and then you get the advertising revenue and you don't really have any costs so you know you, you make that money we can't really do that with our stuff. We have a production team and you know things like that. Um, the, the way we make money is we do a lot of um, like branded commercials and things. So we did uh, we did two projects for 7-Eleven called the 7-Eleven Road Trip and the Slurpee Unity Tour. And um, 7-Eleven Road Trip was a three-week reality show, which there were two teams, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, and they both were traveling to the Indy 500. And um, we were in charge of shooting and planning the entire thing. And releasing episodes every day as they traveled, so it wow. was really intense. Yeah, wow. This yeah. is all web content. All web, yeah. Nothing all on TV. Okay. No, nope. nothing on TV. And uh, it was crazy too because we they wanted one episode, so they didn't want like an East Coast and West Coast episode. They wanted one episode, so we had two editors on either team. And uh, once they were done with their stuff, the the West Coast editor would send it to the East Coast editor, whose uh, his name is Dashiell Reinhardt. He's one of the founders of our company and, and our head editor. Editor, and then he would combine those episodes, make them into one episode, and then continue working on the next day's episode. So he was like... He didn't sleep, basically, for three weeks. He was jeez. this pale ghost of a man. He'd jeez. edit in an RV, which uh, the laptop was taped to the table, so it wouldn't slide <laughs> off. And he would just... We'd be, like, yeah. shooting in these beautiful areas, and we'd come in all tan, and he'd be just pale and ghostly and <laughs> sickly looking. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but he... I mean, the reason the show did really well, it got, like, two million views in three weeks, was because he was fantastic i mean he got to tell the story in a way because he's i feel like an editor in a reality show really gets to control the story so he got to tell the story and he was great but um so that was one that was our like biggest project i think i mean really to date it was it was a a very very big thing because no one had really done anything quite like that and and 7-eleven paid us really really well i mean really fairly i think i think people are paid way unfairly online it's like here make us a Five thirty-second spots for ten thousand dollars. You know, even though we pay a million for these to be on TV, and we want yours to look like their TV quality, it's this weird, weird thing. But uh, they pay very fairly, and and um, and then they hired us again for the Slurpee Unity Tour, which was uh, in November when Obama said the Slurpee thing. I don't know if you ever if you heard about that. I didn't know. Obama said the Republicans are. Um, I think the Democrats are working hard, while the Republicans are standing around drinking Slurpees. And um, that day, Seven Eleven's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" And they call us, and they're like, "Okay, in a week, could you guys fly out to Dallas? We're gonna drive across the country, give out free Slurpees, and there'll be a host, and you know, just shoot some fun things along the way." And we're like, "Okay, yeah, sure." And then they call us back in an hour. They're like, "Okay, change of plans. Can you do it tomorrow?" Wow! <laughs> so they flew. We flew out our, our director of photography, Justin Morrison. And uh, that day, that night, so he took a red eye flight along with the host, who was actually one of the contestants in the 7 Eleven road trip. And he's an actor, so Mike McClendon. And uh, we flew him out. They shot like the opening event. Then me and Dash will join them in, I forget, like Kansas City. And then we traveled for two weeks to DC and and did all these fun sketches. And you could actually check that out on Facebook.com slash Slurpy. All those videos oh, are still cool. up there. Yeah.
0: yeah, we'll put that on our website.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was a fun thing. So those were two of our, our our very big jobs last year. Aside from that, we work with Blip TV a lot, and we do um we do some. Co- so Seven Eleven was actually through Blip TV the 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 first one. And so we've done videos for Samsung and Reebok and Chili's and um, SAP, and so so we do a lot of like commercials. Often in our style, like kind of quirky, funny, right, and uh, and that's how we make money. That's how we made the money last year, and then Leap Year came in. So we kind of do it by project and cool, and hope we get the next one. So yeah.
0: so most of the money for your production company, and I, I wanted to talk to you quickly also about how how that came about, just because yeah. we we're in the infancy stages of a production company. Sure. We we just legally formed it, and now we're like, uh, uh, what do we do now? Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, so it sounds like most of the most of the income then that you generate, um, is via these kind of branded this branded yeah, entertainment. It, I, I I hesitate to call it a commercial cuz it sounds like it's more like a mini yeah. show that's commercial like.
2: Yeah, so I think yeah, the 7-Eleven ones and Leap Year definitely branded entertainment or whatever okay. shows. I mean, honestly, yeah. like TV shows are branded entertainment they that's have. True. You know, it's such <laughs> yeah. a funny term to me. But um but like Samsung and 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 Chil- Chili's and Reebok were literally 30-second spots. So they they were literally just commercials. Cool. Um Samsung had like a little bit of a story, but you know, it was it was basically a commercial. Um, you can see a lot of those on, on our website, which is hlgfilms.com.
0: Yeah, 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 hlgfilms.com. Check it out. There's some really good stuff there. And the quality you. of your stuff is fantastic. So Thanks.
2: you've got a, a team of how many? So we have, my brother and I write everything. Um, I, I often direct, sometimes Justin directs the DP. And then, um, I mean, our main, so there's four founders, my brother, Justin, Dashell and I. Uh, and then we have like a crew of maybe 4 or 5 that we often call on when we when we do this um it varies on the size of the project so leap year we had a bigger crew cuz we needed it and um a lot of our actors are also part of our crew for example uh the guy Dustin Toshiyuki he's he plays to break a leg he's in he's in actually this Monday's episode of leap year he's our sound guy and um Daniela Diorio who's our actress in a lot of things is our wardrobe stylist person and and so a lot of times we just kind of. I mean, the thing is, our our crew is also our group of friends, so we mm-hmm. love working together, and we all happen to go into the careers that we needed to make a production company work. So that's
0: cool. Yeah. So how did this how did this come about then? You guys were just sitting around the table one day,
2: and you were like, "Hey, man, let's let's do this for a living. Let's make <laughs> films and commercials." Well, we made Break a Leg, right? And and oh. once Break a Leg was done, there was a moment of Break a Leg had a weird, and I, I'm sure a ton of artists totally know this experience. You have a project that did really well, and then it stops, and you think all these things are going to happen, and nothing really happens. We had all these meetings with – we had meetings with, like, three departments of NBC, with, like, HBO, all these people, and no one really knew what to do with us. They were like, so, we like your show. Okay. (laughs) Good talk. (laughs) And it was was this – just nothing really came out of it, and and so the – and we were exhausted. So when we were done, we were just kind of like – I was a little – I felt a little defeated because – it was like, oh, all right. I guess we're back where we started, you know. And we weren't really sure what we were gonna do. So there's a few months of like self pity, and um, and then I was like, okay, look, I made a ton of contacts from this, and then I was watching this, <laughs> this movie with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, called Julie and Julia, which you guys, I'm sure know, and it's about a blogger who like decides to blog about her cooking Julia Julia Child's cookbook, and I was like, I should do a blog about web show stuff because we have been, we've been doing this forever and I'm going to start and I have strong opinions about it. So I started ranting on my blog and, and then, and just kind of emailing everyone I knew and just saying like, look, we're done with break a leg now. We'll, we'll shoot. We have, you know, we have our stuff. We, you see, we could do good things. We could write you anything, whatever. And uh blip TV came to us from the, kind of from seeing our blogs and from us talking to them and they were like, Hey, we have an opportunity to shoot a Chili's video, three like short chili commercials you know, do you guys want to do it? So we did it. We shot that. And then they got us another one with Samsung and we were like, okay, maybe we should form a production company officially. Cause we, I mean, same people still, but we were like, let's, you know, make it legal. <laughs> and, uh, right, right, right. And, yeah. uh, and so then, you know, then we got Seven Eleven right after Samsung. So, that was like, you know, boom. And then everything started kind of rolling wow. into, yeah.
0: So really what you did was you just created the content. Yeah. And then you told people about it. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to like dumb it down for my for myself, really. I,
2: you know, what we <laughs> did was we we spent... It's it's like an investment in time and relationships and incredibly hard work. You just you keep at it and you get stubborn. The thing is we had people who competed with us, but most of them fell away because we were just, I guess, more stubborn than them. You know, we, we mm-hmm. spent three years on the thing. And uh, yeah, I just think like just doing the best work you can and, and realizing that you're not going to get paid a ton of money right off the get-go and just trying to get yourself out there. And if you're good, people will notice. I think if you, you know, kick down enough doors, mm-hmm. you know, you'll get it.
1: All right, guys, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed part one of our two part interview with Yuri Baranovsky. Um, such a cool guy, and uh, really, just a really hard worker, and and innovative in such an interesting way. Because it, you know, obviously, if you're doing any kind of like uh, uh, television show for the internet, it's it's sort of this combination of of, of technology and and craft, you know, creativity. So yeah, it's yeah. He he, he, uh,
0: he. Something about his approach is really inspiring and unique. I mean, he. I feel like when he started his his web series Break a Leg, I feel like he, he wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to get myself seen as an actor because he says in the interview even, he's kind of a writer first. So he made it not only to create good content, but also with the aim of making something that was marketable and able to be picked up and things like that. And so sitting down to chat with him was really enlightening, not to mention the fact that he he totally came to our play that night on like a moment's notice Yeah, that's and brought true. like his roommate. It was like so awesome. I and mean, who does that? It was, it was, I think that's a real testament to the kind of guy he is. So, yeah, absolutely. so thank you, Yuri, if you're listening to this and, uh, um, thank you for the interview as well. Part two is coming next week. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, what is your pick of the week, buddy? Pick picks of the
1: week. Um, my pick of the week is probably something that everybody is familiar with, but, uh, uh, I had never actually taken the time to uh, to read it, but I just uh, I just picked it up and started reading it. Um, I'm only you know uh, I'd say about twenty twenty to twenty five chapters in, um, but I am reading uh, the finally reading Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, which is really really funny really funny, um it reminds me a lot of like um you know Gulliver's travels in that sort of like um, satirical like just scathingly satirical um you know social commentary um wrapped up in this uh, fantastical you know package um, it's uh it's 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 a lot of fun and there are definitely some laugh out loud moments, so if you have never. <laughs> Uh, if you are like me and you have never picked up the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, you should do so, um, and you will you will not regret it.
0: That's awesome. You know, I haven't read that yet. That's a that's one of those kind of classic books. I got to get around to reading. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. What is your pick of the
1: week, my friend?
0: Uh I am reading this book for the second time now. And it's it's you know, anybody who knows me will kind of like smile and nod their head when I tell them what this book is because they'll be like, Oh yeah, that's that's a very Trevor thing to read. But uh oh, it's this really? book called <laughs> It's this book called Creative Visualization. It's by Shakti Gawain. It's uh it was published um I think it was published in like the early eighties or late seventies. But um, it's all about um, using, it's, it's all about the secret, basically. It's using the power of your mind to visualize and attract the things that you want into your life. But it really kind of delves deep into it, and it gives you some exercises you can do. And the more I read this kind of stuff, the more I am really convinced that there's a lot to it. And in the, the first chapter, she says, um, you know, if you were to watch a sunset for the very first time, you would think it was the most magical, incredible, miraculous thing in the world. She says, but after you'd seen a few of them, you might start to realize a little bit about how they work. You'd understand how the earth is turning and you'd realize what it is. And it wouldn't seem so miraculous. it just seemed kind of natural. It's just this thing that happens. It's a law of nature. And she says, you know, creative visualization and the law of attraction is the same kind of way. You know, like the, the more you, like at first it might seem like that's so supernatural and woo-woo, but the more you kind of, Use it and understand it, and see its effects in your life, and in the effects of its effects in other people's lives. The more you'll see that it's just this kind of natural way of living, and uh, we've touched on this a little bit before. And I do think there's more to it than just like, you know, thinking to yourself like, "I have a million dollars, I have a million dollars," you know, "I am skinny, I am skinny," you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I don't think, it, I don't think it quite works like that, but I think that. Um, I think that there's a lot to it, and uh, this book is is fantastic. It's a fantastic primer on that, and, uh, you know, when combined with all the other different books I've read on the same kind of human potential movement topic, uh, I think that uh, it's a really, really good one. I think it's kind of essential um, if you're interested in that stuff at all. So, um, Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. We'll have a link on the website.
1: All right. Well, I think that just about does it for episode 59. Anything we missed, sir?
0: God, I hope not, man. This is the <laughs> longest episode in the history of the podcast. I um, hope so. <laughs> Lots of different ways that uh, you guys, uh, our listeners, can support the podcast and get in touch with us. Um, of course, you can email us at insideactingpodcast at com, And if that's too much, you can just hop over to our website and uh, drop us a comment on one of the episodes at uh, InsideActingPodcast.com.
1: You can also leave us a voicemail at 12132 Actors. It's 8677 Or check us out on Twitter. We're at twitter.com slash inside acting or at our individual accounts. I'm Twitter.com slash digitalactor.
0: And I'm Twitter.com slash Trevor You can also hit up our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash insideacting. And uh, you can find us uh on Actorated, itunes and also dig.com we haven't been great about keeping our dig.com uh profile up to date but that's something that we're we're working on getting back into um
1: we missed and you. then last but- oh yeah yeah
0: of course we missed something <laughs> <laughs> of course we missed something we didn't get on our last- hands and knees and beg that's right <laughs> that's right you know and we've had so many wonderful people um you know donate to the podcast and uh, we have a lot of subscribers now, so thank you guys for for kicking us some money. It, it not only does it validate us on a kind of like emotional level, but um, it uh, it also helps keep us going. So if you are listening to this podcast and you get something out of it, and you want to uh, maybe support us beyond just telling your friends or leaving a few reviews on our on our various websites and profiles, you can donate some money to the podcast. There are two ways you can do it. Um, you can go to our website, uh, insideacting dot com, and look on the right hand side for you, one. You did oh, it? Two, you but, just
1: did it. You did insideacting dot com. It, do it.
0: No, it? dot com. And uh, yeah, you'll you'll see two buttons there. One is the option to donate just a lump sum, a one time donation to the podcast, um, however much or however little you'd like. Uh, every penny counts. Uh, and the second option is you can. Um, choose to become a subscriber so you can actually donate to us on a recurring monthly basis you just put in your information and you'll be billed by paypal uh every month uh in three five ten or twenty dollar increments um and that that helps as well too you know we try to put this out as often as possible and um getting that kind of support kind of automatically coming in certainly uh helps with everything um all our different uh production costs so Uh, thank you to those of you that have donated. Thank you to those of you who are going to donate and those of you who are on the fence, uh, go ahead and kick us a couple bucks. It, uh, it's pretty awesome when you do. All right. I think that does it. (laughs) Thank you so
1: much for listening to episode 59. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm Trevor Algot. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, 42. 42 what's that it's the answer to everything from Hitchhiker's what guide to the, it's hitch it's a reference uh, to Hitchhiker's yeah. guide to the galaxy
0: okay do you think people will get that
1: it's the answer to life the universe and everything
0: okay i think all right i, cool. I
1: think if they don't get it they'll 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 ask and that'll create conversation okay cool <laughs> cool man oh my god what a weird episode I
0: know. I think know. I think
1: if we're going to do it this early in the morning, it's cool for our voices, but we need to like have something that like wakes us up or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it just felt really like not I don't even want to say under energized. It just felt like we were like <laughs>